Welcome to the Vincennes First Church of God Sermon Podcast. My name is Will Huebner. I'm the lead pastor. And we're so thankful that you've decided to tune in and listen to us today. We hope that through this message and the Word of God, you will find not only that you are challenged, but that you are encouraged. Here at Vincent's First Church, we believe that it's our job to create kingdom culture. And we hope that you'll join us Sundays at 10 o'clock. We love you and enjoy. Uh, I want want to give a disclaimer today. Um, This sermon, uh, it's kind of... I, Pastor Will did a series called Unheard Word, and he talked about obscure Bible stories that, that might not be known to too many people. And, and this one has a little bit of graphicness to it. I just want to let you know, but this is also a great opportunity for me to promote our kids' ministry. We have a fantastic kids' ministry that Kendra uh, Roach runs, and she has a great team. And if, if you haven't discovered their kids' ministry, it is Fantastic. And I, I just want to say she does a phenomenal job. Um, and if you want to keep your kids here, that's totally okay. You might have a really great conversation during lunch, but um, it'll be okay. But yes. So we might uh, know about a man named King David. Uh, king David was known to be the king who was a man after God's own heart. He went after God, and he, yes, he made mistakes in his life, but, but overall, he just wanted to honor God with everything he did. And he had a son, and the son's name was Solomon, and he wasn't known to be a man after God's own heart. He was known to be the wisest man that ever lived. After King David died, Solomon went, and, and he was talking with God, and God said, I will grant you whatever you ask for. And he said, I want double portion of the wisdom of David. And he was granted that, and so he was known as the wisest man who ever lived. And so we're going to jump into 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16, and we're going to see the first ruling that King Solomon gave. So if you're there, we're going to start that story. In verse 16, it says, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. Next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living son is mine. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two, again, half to one and half to the other. So a quick side, Um, when I was a kid, I would argue with my brother Donovan, um, and it was usually about video games. Who was going to play video games, or, or whose toy was whose, and my mom gave this clever statement. She said, fine, I will just take it away, and neither of you 
get to have the toy or the video game. And, and just the hurt and the sadness, like, no, you're taking away my toy. And this is probably the same, but times a thousand situation, but it kind of shows you that parallel. And so this is the response of both of the women. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other one said, neither I nor you shall have him cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the baby to the first one. Do not kill him. She is the mother. Now in this story, I, I, just, I just think of maybe the view that people saw Solomon. Like this is his first ruling. This is, this is just the, the precedent to how he is going to rule his kingdom. And so, so they probably are watching him as he's making this decree. These women are fighting over whose baby is the living one. And he, this wise man, gave the ruling and said, chop the baby in half. That doesn't seem very wise because you know if you do that, then the baby will be gone. But through this situation, he found out who the real mother was. And in our lives, the world likes to act a certain way. There's there's tendencies that we have in reaction to the people around us and, and the lives that we live. But as followers of Christ, we're called to live differently. And I wanted to give you guys three points that I took away from this passage that if we practiced it, as people in the body of Christ, as, as followers of Christ, the impacts we can make on this world. But also for people who don't know Jesus, this could bring an insane amount of healing to your life through, through, through things that have gone on. So my first point, if you're on your bulletins, if you're looking at your sheets of paper, my first point for you is hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Now, we, we, could, we could read about this situation that this lady was in, and this lady was evil. She, she, she took this baby that, that was dead, and she gave it to someone else, and, and, and this other woman had to deal with the situation, and you could say, how terrible. But I, I then picture the eyes of the woman whose baby had died. She wakes up the next morning not realizing what she had done. She did it in her sleep, and and, and she was so broken by the situation. She was so broken because she she found this baby that she cared for and she loved had died. And out of her brokenness, she made a a choice that was not okay. But but sometimes we we look at people and we see the, the, the things that they do. And we wonder why they make the decisions that they make, but sometimes what they are doing is they are acting out of brokenness. There's a book that I love, and um, I recommend it to everybody. One of my all-time favorite books, it is uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And his fifth habit is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. I remember um, me and Anna were driving uh, because, I mean, she lives all the way in Newcastle. So we've driven a lot (laughs) um, in our time together. And we we were going from one location to another. We both needed to drive separate. So I was behind her and we weren't going exactly the speed limit, but we were driving and I was behind her and this car just zooms past me. And he, he, he gave me a gesture. He, he, he was like, you're number one. 
but it was the finger next to that finger. Um, and and I, I was looking at this man, and, and there, was so, there was a series of emotions that I felt. I was, I was confused, and then I thought it was comical, and then I was frustrated. I, I was thinking, what? This guy, I, I was behind somebody else. I mean, this, this wasn't particularly my fault, but I, I'm just thinking, does he understand what I'm doing? Does he understand my situation? Does he understand where I'm at? He, he doesn't get that I'm just trying to do my best as a citizen. And then God kind of challenged me and he said, maybe there's something going on in his life. Maybe this man is, is on his way to a dead-end job and he's so frustrated. Maybe he's dealing with so much depression and anxiety and things are just bottling up. Maybe his family is falling apart. His kids are making poor choices. His marriage is in shambles. And so this moment is just a breaking moment for him to do something to me. This man was broken, and he didn't seek to understand my situation, but he wanted me to understand his. And if I saw his situation, how could I act differently? If someone is acting in a certain way in your life, and, and, and they're, they're acting out, if our kids are acting a certain way, or if someone's responding, if we're, in, if we're talking to someone in the food industry, and the waiter is being so impatient, maybe they're waiting for somebody in the kitchen to get the food, and we need to understand. How much of a diffuser would it be if we, if we look at people in our life who are acting a certain way and say, hey, is there something going on? Is your life okay? Is there things going on in your life? And, and what happens is you start to understand their lives. And what ends up happening is they turn around and they start to understand ours as well. My question for us this morning is how do we act when we are hurt? How do we act when someone does an action and hurts us? Do we, do we respond in kind and, and, and act the same way we've been treated? Or do we act out of freedom from that? I, I read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. I, I think all of these, these words are perfect, but I think the last line is the most important one, is because Christ forgave us. When we act kindly to someone who is not treating us well, what we are saying is just because you're acting this way doesn't mean that controls my emotions and my response, and I am owned by Jesus, and I'm owned by the love and the forgiveness that he has given to me, therefore I will exude love to you. And Will said it really well in a staff meeting. We were talking about brokenness, and he said, people who go through hurt, they need mercy, but not permission. Just because this lady, her baby had died doesn't mean that she was okay to take someone else's baby. That was not okay. And, and Anna actually told me this quote, brokenness should be an explanation, but not an excuse. Just because we are broken in our lives doesn't mean we have permission to live our lives in a certain way. Just because someone is broken doesn't give them permission to act away. But our choice is how we respond. The second point that I want to give you guys today, and I love this point, it's division destroys. Division destroys. And, and it, it's kind of obvious when we see this situation. And when, when, when Solomon says, cut the baby in half, the people know what's going to happen. 
If you cut a baby in half, it will not live. And as I was researching this sermon, I I started doing research on Abraham Lincoln. And you you probably know his quote, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And as I was was doing more research into Abraham Lincoln, I, I started to see the situation that he was really in. I mean, this country was in shambles, and everybody was, was head-to-head fighting, and people wanted their own way, and the country was facing division, and he didn't know what he needed to do, but he was standing for something. He's saying, I want this country to be united under this, and I know that there's so much tension, but I want us to be one country. But he's not the original person that gave that quote. Actually, a house divided is from the Bible. Um, In Luke, nope, in Matthew chapter 12, it might be in Luke, I don't know, but in Matthew chapter 12, they confronted Jesus. The Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, they confronted Jesus, and they said, you are casting demons out of people. He just cast a demon out of someone, and he said, you are casting demons out of people because you have a demon inside of you. And Jesus looked at them, and he challenged them, and he said, he knew their thoughts, and he said to them in verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself, is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. He's saying that if the enemy was working against itself, then it would be so much easier to take out. And and that gives me the perspective. What is the enemy's strategy then? It is way easier for a united enemy to come against us one by one as people who choose to follow Christ, as as we get isolated and we we get at home and we're not visiting church, we're, we're individuals who are so vulnerable because we are not united as a body. And that makes us easier for the enemy. I tell you what, I, I look and I do, I see division. I don't, I see division all over the world. I see division in the families in this world, as, as families get cut apart because a child makes a decision and, and, and moves away from their family, a father leaves a house and abandons his family, or a divorce goes rampant in the world and division is there. Friendships are broken apart because we disagree. Media causes us to feel isolated because we want to be so connected, yet we don't even say hello to our friends. Churches split because we disagree on a certain song that we play on a Sunday. Politically, people disagree because this news station says this and this news station says this and and who's the right one? These ones are obviously the right one, therefore I will not associate with these people. Racially, the division has been rampant. Everybody likes to go to their own place. It was crazy to me when I was a kid, I would be friends with anybody, and I, I, I did not care who they were, but as I got older and into my teen years, I started to go to the people who were more like me. And they started to migrate towards the people who were more like them. And as a body of Christ, that is not what we are called to do. And then I see denominations and people at different churches, they never talk to the churches that are right across the street from each other, don't even talk to each other because they interpret one scripture just a little bit different. The other day, I, I was at lunch with a youth pastor from uh, Bicknell Baptist. And yeah, I, they, they might do church a little differently than me, but he so encouraged me 
in my ministry. He's been there for several years and he's talking about God moving in his ministry and encouraged me because I'm just at the beginning. He's like, this is where God can take it. He encouraged me as I'm thinking about my future and he was there with me and how much would I have missed out if I said, no, your, your church is a little different than mine. Wouldn't it be cool as a body of Christ, as churches, we came together and said, we all follow Jesus and therefore you have something and you are valuable and we can work together. And that's what God calls us as the church. I, I made some great friends in Columbus. They were people on uh, the band staff. I got really involved with the marching band and I, I went and got tacos with them every Tuesday. And what was surprising to me is their thoughts and, and their, their, their beliefs on things were a lot different than mine. And, and, and I, I prayed through it and I talked through it. And what I started to discover was even though they might have thought a little differently than me, they were still amazing people. And in fact, the hardest time for me to leave Columbus, the, the hardest thing for me to leave behind was those friends that I had made. Yeah, I don't know if they were the same in their relationship with Jesus, but I, I, as I grew to know them, I started to talk to them about the, the different things that I was doing in my ministry, my sermon points that I was giving, and I was, I was shining my light to them, and how much would I have missed out because they thought a little bit differently than me, I didn't associate. God calls us to be unified. When someone hurts us, we seek forgiveness. If we don't agree, we seek understanding. And when we hurt somebody, we seek restitution. If we are divided, the enemy wins. If you cut a baby in half, it is destroyed, and God wants us to be unified. And how much stronger would the church be if we were unified? The third point I want to give you guys today, um, I, I, I had a hard time just, just thinking about this one because, because is this right? Is this the right way to go? But I, I want to give it to you because God gave me a really cool perspective on it. The third point is the real parent is the one who is willing to give the child away. The real parent is the one who is willing to give their child away. They wanted so badly to see their child survive because they loved it that they were willing to give the child away. Solomon was the king with the most wisdom. He was the man who was the wisest man who ever lived, and he knew this fact. The rightful owner was the one who was willing to lose the baby instead of seeing it die. In our lives, it, it's a hard lesson to give, but sometimes we just want justice. We want to get the thing that's our way, and sometimes we're right. But does that mean that it is the right thing? There is a part of our heart that, that fights and that says, it is not fair that this is being taken away. We, we need to get what we have, we have earned. We need to get what we owed. We want to get what we deserve, and the other person should not because they don't deserve that. But as I've grown in my life, I've I've learned this lesson over and over. When I was 19, I, I was super involved in this youth ministry um, where I was at. And, in fact, I was, I was there 30 plus hours a week, not getting paid at all. And I was super involved and I loved it. And, and my dream was to be the, the youth pastor that was hired at that church. But before I knew it, the, the lead pastor was, was talking to 
another youth pastor and, and actually did not talk to me about it at all. And as they hired the person, they did not even ask me. And then when they were hired, all of my responsibilities were gone. I was so frustrated. I said, God, why, why would you let this thing happen? I was, I was so faithful to this youth group. I was so involved. I was trying to make everything happen. And then it was just taken away from me. And as I prayed, I realized that I didn't need to go and think, oh, this, God, this, this, is, this is what I'm owed and, and other people don't deserve this. But God was saying, you need to go and give it to them. If I left and said, I didn't get what I wanted, I could have divided that youth group. I could have hurt that church. I could have hurt those people. But the real mother was the one who was willing to give it away. When I was in college, I, I got straight A's. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to do my, oh, thank you. <laughs> Someone clap for me. <laughs> I, I was trying my best to, to do the best I could because in my mind, I thought I'm going to be the best youth pastor that ever lived and, and no one's going to stop me and I'm, I'm going. By the time I got to my fourth year, they, they, they were going to do a staff year and I had to apply to do the staff year. And they said, you are not going to go because you don't fit in here. And my heart was crushed. I thought, what about what I deserve? What about what I'm owed? What about these things? And I could have gone and, 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 and talked to negatively about this group, but I didn't. When I was in Florida, I interned for a year, and I simply did not get the job because I was a single male. And I was hurt. But I realized that God was the one who was going to take care of me. I'm extremely challenged by this thought. Is this the right thing? If you turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus is talking to the people who are following him in his life. They say they want to be his disciples, and he challenges them all. And he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. when I first hear this verse, I, I think of the burden of carrying a cross and how heavy it might be. And so in order to follow Christ, I must carry a burden. But when Jesus was saying this, he did not yet tell them that he was going to literally be crucified on a cross in an unjust death. And basically what he's telling his disciples is, you must be crucified unjustly in order to follow me and give the justice to God. See, the real mother was the one who was willing to give her child away. And the real father that we follow is the one who was willing to give his son away. That's the Christ that we follow. And therefore, we are willing to give up anything because it's not about being right and getting what's ours and getting what we deserve, but it's doing the right thing. God gave away his son, and I'll say it over and over again. Jesus did not deserve to die on the cross. He deserved to rule the world, but he gave up his life because he cared about the health of us. He cared about each and every one of us getting salvation, knowing that we can have a relationship with God, knowing that we can have a purpose, and we can be promised in eternity. And some of us in our lives, we, we have faced situations where justice was not served, And we think, God, where have you been? 
In Psalm 31, verse 14, it says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. See, th- this lady, she, she gave away her baby because she wanted it to live. But what happens is the king gives it right back to her. Because he knows that she is the real mother. And in our lives, when, when we have injustices and those things that happen, we take it to God and we say, God, you take care of me. And I, and I want to just give a, just a little bit of side note to this. If you are faced hurt by the church or abuse or any kind of negative treatment, that doesn't mean that you stay quiet. I, I, I don't want that. In fact, if you face hurt and abuse from the church, speak out. But let God enact the justice. Let God enact the justice. The real mother is the one who is willing to give it away. Abraham Lincoln, he was in the the Civil War, and worship team, if you guys could come on back up. Abraham Lincoln was was in the Civil War, and he was in in the midst of it all. And I I just think of the stress and the hardship, and and, and, in politics, the the encouragement you get to to look one way and and fight for what you want and fight to be the person who's right. When you see a debate, the person's just like, I want to be right. I want to be the one that wins. And so someone went to Abraham Lincoln. And they said, Sir, Abraham Lincoln, Mr. President, is God on your side? And he looked at this person and he said, one of the wisest things I could ever hear. He said, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. Because God is always right. His concern wasn't whether or not God was following him and his agenda, but he was so concerned. He said, I could change my whole entire political view because I want to be on God's side no matter what. These things that I follow, these things that that I attain to in my life that I am so devoted to, I could change in an instant in order to be on God's side. It's not about being right but it's about doing the right thing as I've known Anna for a year I've grown to love her spend time with her I've, I've gotten her to watch so many movies with me I got her into video games and we discuss things, we plan things, we, we have to figure it out and, and we have to have a routine to, 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 to make it work. But, but one of the greatest things that I learned in the relationship is that if, if, if I'm right, that doesn't help anything. But doing the right thing, that's what matters. Making sure she feels loved and cherished and she's an important part of my life. Now, those of us who are in here, we might have had a situation that we were put in our life. You might think of of the hurt that you were put in your life, and, and I know it's probably not fair. 
I know that some of us have, have faced a hurt that was embedded in our childhood. And when people act a certain way, it triggers that. And we act out in a way that we don't even know. And I want to tell you a promise. And if you're not following Jesus, I want you to hear this. God can heal you from that. We get so caught up in what someone else did to us, but we have freedom Freedom not to get our justice, but freedom to forgive that person because we know that we have been forgiven. And our calling as the body of Christ is to be so unified. Jesus prays to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, let them be one as you and I are one. He's saying, I want you followers of Christ to be so unified just like Jesus and the Father, who are the same person, are unified. What if we sought that as believers? What do we need to change in our life? How do we need to change our views so that we seek that? And if you don't know Jesus, he can give you so much freedom today. And the last point, the real mother is the one who's willing to give it away. Some of us have felt some injustice, something that wasn't fair. And it is so hard for us to say, okay, here you go, God. God, I care way more for the people involved in this than getting what I want. God, it's on you. So as we go into the song, I want us to think about these three points. I'm trying to seek what's right and go after what God has for us.